0: Jesus wants us to have great faith. He wants our faith to be ever-increasing. And by faith, it's an idea of having this loving, trusting relationship with God that's very interactive, that's very connected. And there are things that God calls us to do that causes our faith to become more real. It causes us to embrace it at a deeper level. And I want to share with you about how that happens. But faith is important because that's the key to our connection with God. It's we're saved by grace through faith. And not of ourselves and not of works. Uh, It's also important because very often we hit situations in life. Where you start wondering what's going on. Where it just doesn't seem like things are going to work. Where everything's coming apart at the seams. Or where people are acting in ways that just wound you to the core. And, and, And in those kind of moments where worry could set in. Or fear could set in. Or pain could set in. Well, faith is what keeps us going. And when we have our faith strong, we begin to understand that even in those times that God does something amazing. In Romans 8 verse 28, it says this, for God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and live their lives according to his purpose. If you love God and you live your life according to his purpose, you're a person of faith. And when you do that and things hit you, you can't understand. Well, what happens is God then takes it and causes something amazing and wonderful and incredible to come out of it. I've watched him do it again and again and again with things. I thought, God, how could any good come from this? And we've seen God do it because God's God and he does that. There was a day when a group of people's faith was tested to the most extreme uh, it could possibly be. It was on Good Friday. Good Friday. Jesus had come. He was love in action. He was God in the flesh, and he was love, true love, exhibited in a way people couldn't imagine. And then hate, and and, and literally uh, uh, abuse was poured out upon him, and his followers and his family looked, and their hearts were broken. And they had to ask on that day when love, true love, died, what good could come out of it? And you and I already know the answer because while there was a good Friday, there also was an Easter Sunday. And he rose from the dead and he came and brought something amazing. And now we know love and now we know life like we've never known it before. God can do that even on a day when true love died. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask that right now you would stir our hearts. God, that you'd touch us. If someone here today is struggling or in pain, God, I pray for healing to even come now. I pray hope would arise. I pray, God, that you would start to show every one of us that when we love you and live our life according to your purpose, that, God, you cause a resurrection of hope and love and care and and amazement to come because it's you. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Man, I love that song. I love those girls. And I got to tell you, every time Natalia sings, I think, praise God, we have her in our church. Um, Now, don't know if you heard about the two guys that were out hiking. And uh, they, they came around a particular bin and looked over and saw the biggest grizzly bear they'd ever seen in their life. He spun around and growled, showing that he was angry. He began to brush the ground to show he was getting ferocious. And with that, one of the two men began to let his backpack down. And he reached the inside very slowly, not wanting to aggravate the bear. And he slipped out a tennis shoe and began to undo his hiking boot and put it on. His friend looked and said, quit moving. And and he wouldn't quit. Now the bear made a false charge at him. And man, they're just like our hearts are beating. As the guy puts on the other tennis shoe. And his friend looked at him and said, dude, there is no way you're going to outrun that bear. And the man who put on the shoes looked up and said, I don't have to outrun that bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Hey, if you thought a bear was going to attack you, you'd probably run. If you thought this building was on fire, if you genuinely believed it, I think you'd run out of here. Uh, A few months ago, the fire alarms went off and nobody moved, right? You remember that? We just all sat here, you know, and and you know why we didn't believe it. But if you believed it, you would do something. Here's the key, ready? If you really believe, then you're going to do something. And, and, And the whole idea of faith is not just knowledge in your mind. It's something that goes to your heart and just literally emanates out of your life. That's what we need to understand. Now, what does the Bible say about faith? The Bible says that faith comes in particular ways, and we need all of them. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, In other words, we need to study God's word. We need to listen to what Jesus says. And that's why in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest words ever uttered, the Sermon on the Mount was uttered. And what happened is he wanted to teach about what it meant to live in this vibrant, amazing, intimate relationship with God. What you and I were called to. And so Jesus taught the principles of it. And as we study those and listen to those and understand those, faith begins to erupt within our hearts and lives. It's one aspect of faith. Uh, But what we also need to do is see faith in action. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 is a description of people who lived out of faith in God when it wasn't always easy. And it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it begins with verse 1 where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, Another way it says is faith is the evidence of things hoped for. In other words, you could see faith evidently shining out of people in the Bible with the examples that are given there. But we also begin to understand faith is shown to us in creation. Uh, The very creation of God speaks that God is real. And, And that's why Anthony Flew, who was an atheist for almost all of his life, and a matter of fact, one of the most prominent atheistic philosophers around, and I talked about him a couple weeks ago, at the age of 90, said that if you understand what's going on scientifically and you follow the evidence, you have no choice but to believe in God. And so he's left atheism, and he turned to God. Now, now here's the thing, that faith also is shown to us in the lives of people around us. Um, this past few weeks, I have watched people who uh, everything in life could go wrong, and I'm watching them love God. And when I walk away, i got to tell you, I'm just moved by their great love for God, how they're just, just God's moving and doing something in a not easy situation. And, and when that happens, faith grows. But, but there's another way faith grows, not just by learning or, or, or having it intellectually brought to us, not just in seeing it around us. It's when we begin to participate. We begin to do something. And by the way, I want to say this, probably everybody here, if I'm not being as clear as I can, we all would say, I think we'd all agree on this, that we learn best when someone teaches us, shows us, and then asks us to do it, right? Right? If they just teach you and show you and walk away, you're like, okay, but what do I do? But they ask you to do something and get you involved. Then what happens is your faith begins to grow in a great way. And you begin to understand in a a deeper way, everything that's going on. So where does that happen? Luke 17, listen to what Jesus said. In Luke 17, the apostles come to him and say, Lord, increase our faith. We want to have a deeper faith. We want to have a more vibrant faith. Help it to grow. And here's what Jesus said, verse 7 which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you may eat and drink. He does not think the slave because he did the things which he commanded him to do. Does he verse 10? So you too, When you do all things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Did you catch what he said? He goes, do you want your faith to increase? He said, so you too, when you do all that is commanded you. Now, now, Ronnie was really right on today when he said that, you know what? We know that we do not earn our relationship with God. But he's also right in the idea that it's not without effort. We don't do the effort to earn the relationship. But the reality is, if we don't put out anything, then we're not going to have it. Because it's not really there. That's why in James 2 verse 17, it says, faith without works is dead. If I really believe in God and I want an ever-increasing faith to grow, then I need to embrace this idea that God is calling for me to take action. That that faith is active and faith is something that affects every area of my life. And and hopefully you would say and I would say, Lord, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Jesus said, so you too, when you do all that is commanded you. Uh, uh, And I got to say this, not a lot of people. What happens is they want to pick and choose the commandments of God. It doesn't work that way. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want your will, I want your ways, I want them more than mine. And I'm ready to follow you completely. And so for faith to be real, we need to have that kind of that willingness to actually take action on it, to actually do it. So here's where we're at in Matthew chapter 8. and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus taught. In Matthew 8, he's going to show them something. Two instances of amazing faith, and then he's going to ask them to have it actively in their own lives in a situation that will test them. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, now, now don't miss this, Lord, if you're willing, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This guy has, uh, well, in that day was considered literally an incurable disease. Now, there were instances in the Old Testament of people being healed. But he said this. He goes, I know you can do it. I know right now the question isn't, do you have the power to do it? I believe you have the power to do it. I'm saying the will you do it? Will you choose to? I have such belief in your power, such belief in who you are, Lord, that I know you can do anything. And if you choose to do it, it'll happen. That's amazing faith. And notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there was this particular ceremony that if leprosy was healed, that you were to go and perform. And Jesus said, more than going out and telling everybody what happened, I want you to go honor what God's word says immediately. You go do what you were told to do. You go make the offering. You go worship me. You go participate in this. Now, now, it's vitally important for me to make sure you understand why. Because Jesus said, I'm going to show you my power, but I want you to go to participate in a relational experience with me. It wasn't about a ceremony. A lot of people miss that. Ceremonies are vital and important if they're not just something we do, but something we experience. And Jesus said, I'm about to do something amazing in your life. So go honor what my word tells you to do. And then he shows the apostles his power to cleanse. Then in the next passage, what happens? In chapter 8, verse 5, there's a centurion. And uh, he comes to Jesus and he says, uh, I'm concerned for my servant. Uh, he needs your help. He needs to be healed. And, and Jesus said, then I'll go to him. And the centurion says, no, 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 you don't need to come. He says, you know what, I am a man with authority. And if I command my soldiers to do something, they'll do it. And if I tell them to take action on it, they'll take action. And I know that you can just say it with the word and make it happen. Now, before we read the rest of this, notice what's happened. You have a leper who says, I'm in a situation that's impossible. But I believe you have the power to do it. Now you have a centurion saying, I'm in a situation of great pain and need about someone I care about. But I know, Lord, you have authority over time and space. I know that. I know that that's who you are. You have that kind of power. Catch the faith of these people. And notice what it says in Matthew 8, verse 10 about the centurion. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Did you guys what he said? He said, he said to those who are following, who's he talking about? There's a big crowd, but who does he want to notice? He wants the people who say that they follow him, mainly the apostles. And then he said to the apostles, I haven't found such great faith in Israel. In other words, I want to tell you guys, this guy puts you to shame. Now, it doesn't say how Peter reacted, but we all know Peter. I bet he wasn't happy. What do you think? They, Peter's like, my faith could you know, I, you know, and, and, and this guy believes so strongly. And Jesus said, do you guys see that? Do you see how incredible it is? What he believes. And by the way, did you catch it? Jesus marveled at him. He, 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 he wasn't surprised because Jesus isn't surprised. He was in love with what this man did, how he felt, how he maintained faith, how he knew the power of God is so real. It just moved him. And notice what it goes on to say in verse eleven. I say to you that many will come from east and west and will recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now now you might be going, wait, 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 why did that come up? It came up because Jesus is looking and saying how sad it is that there will be people who are so close to inheriting the kingdom and the power of God in their life, and they're not going to get it. They are actually called sons of the kingdom, but they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus already warned about that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he said there's a narrow way and only a few find it. And, and I really want to tell you, I believe with all my heart that Jesus was saying this with sadness. Sadness. He was looking around at everybody following, thinking you're not all going to make it. And how sad it is that it, what you just need to do is trust me and believe in me and, and, and really live your life with me. And, and he goes, it could be theirs, but they're not going to get it. See, all the time there are people who are not experienced. and wonder in the power of God why they just don't believe really. They're not willing to embrace the faith. They're not willing to do all that God asks them to do. And and they want to have this kind of lukewarm attitude. And if you've been a Christian very long, I know you've read what it says in Revelation chapter 3. That Jesus looks at a church, by the way, a church and says, I wish you were either hot or cold. But you're so lukewarm. And I just am going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, the word spew there means you actually are causing my stomach to turn. It's a a turning because of love and care, and he's watching them miss out. And he says, I'd rather have you just hate me than to just be halfway in what you're doing. And here's the question I need to ask for me. Am I passionately committed to Christ? Am I ready to do whatever he wants me to do? And if I am, and I take action on that, then God says to me, Chuck, your faith will grow he says that to you too. And so, you know, hearing the words of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 would cause faith to come. But it's going to be embraced when they begin to take active, active passionate, uh, and experiential intimacy with Jesus. To really get involved with him. To really open up and say, I'm actually going to do what you want me to do. And, and then, in verse 13, it says, And Jesus said to the centurion, now don't miss this line, Go... It shall be done for you as you have believed. It'll be done as you believed, And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, Jesus had power over time and space. I'm very intrigued that in the book, There Is a God by Anthony Flew, describing his leaving the atheism for theism, that Anthony Flew said this. He said, if anybody understands the wonders of the universe, then we're left with the fact that there is a God. And then he said that God must be omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Now, by the way, there's only one place you can find God like that in the Bible. Now, are you ready for this? He also said, and I hope God's loving because I don't want to be on his bad side. (laughs) Now, grab that. He is loving. And God cares about you. And he has power over time and space. But he loves you so much that he counts the hairs upon your head. For some of you, that's a pretty quick count. And... uh, He loves you so much. He knows where you stand and where you sit and where you lie down. He just cares about you. He marvels at you. When you believe and trust in him. But notice what Jesus said to the centurion. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed. So much of what happens in life is how we believe. Now God's not held hostage to that. He's more powerful than that. But we do know he chooses to work that way. In Matthew 13, verse 58, it says this. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, this is talking about his hometown. And he said, you know what? I just can't do anything with you because you just don't believe me. You just don't trust me. And I got to tell you that I've got to ask myself and hope the answer is yes. Do I really believe? Do I really trust him? Am I really willing to say, yes, God, I'll just anything you I'll just trust you in every situation. And I've been a Christian long enough to tell you not just from studying God's word, but from living life with him. That man, I've had some tough things come my way, but every single time when I put it in the hands of God, every time he causes good to come from it. I mean, some things you think, God, how could you ever do that? But the word of God is true, that if we love him and live our life according to his purpose, then he causes it to work together for good. Now, it doesn't say he causes all things. It says he causes it to work for good. And so he wants us to be all in. He wants us to say, God, I'm ready to do. Remember what he said in Luke 17. If you do all that's commanded you, then you're going to experience ever-increasing faith. And that's why we get down to chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Before he puts them in their time of testing, he calls for true discipleship. And listen to what it says in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. And then a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, now, if you're not catching what Jesus is saying, this guy goes, hey, I want to come to. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, you're not going to. You can't come. You know what? The foxes have a hole to stay in. The birds of the air have a nest, but you know what? I don't have a place to lay. In other words, if you think the life that I'm calling you to is easy and comfortable, you're wrong. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't bless and Jesus isn't saying that. But let me tell you this. Jesus did say to us that if anyone wants to come after me, you must take up a cross and deny yourself and follow me. For he would seek to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This guy is coming with a lot of preconceived conditions. He's coming wanting to pick and choose. This is not the easy life. This isn't going to work that way. And you need to understand it. You need to understand that I am telling you that there are going to be good times, that there are going to be tough times. And if you think that it's always going to be comfortable, you're wrong. There's an old saying that's so true, that God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Now, why did Jesus allow this to happen here? Because he's about to take the apostles and put them in a time of testing. He's healed the leper. He's healed the servant of the centurion. Their faith's going to grow because he's going to put them in a place that isn't easy, where they're going to be terrified. And he's going to ask the question, do you trust me anyway? Do you trust me anyway? And then the next person he talks to happens right here in verse 21. And another of the disciples said to him, 'Uh, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, now that might seem heartless, but what Jesus is saying is you need to understand if you don't love me and follow me more than you would even a parent you're supposed to love, you can't be mine. In other words, if you said, well, you know, I, I would want to do what God said, but my mom wouldn't like it. My dad wouldn't like it. Well, I want you to honor your father and your mother, but if it comes down to a choice of obeying God or that, you have to choose to obey God. You've got to put him first. You have to say that he is the one you love with all your heart, soul, and mind. I, I was one time talking to a man, and I began to show him biblically what baptism is, which we're going to get to in just a minute. And uh, he said, you know, uh, I, 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 would, I understand that the Bible teaches, and I know the Bible's the word baptized means to dip, submerge, or plunge. I do see that. I know that it needs to be done by my choice. Uh, that I need to do it, uh, appealing to God, and 1 Peter 3 says, for a clear conscience. And I, I know when I was a child and I was sprinkled, I wasn't appealing to a clear conscience. I get that. I said, then are you ready to be baptized? He said, I would, it, but it would just break my mother's heart. And I said, then you've got to make a choice, God or your mother. And, and you know what? I, I, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here. You've got to make a choice, God or your father. You've got to make a choice. And if you say, well, you know what? That's one I'm not going to do. Well, then how many others are you not going to do? And and when Jesus said to the leper, go and fulfill the ceremony you were called to fulfill. I believe he went and did it. And, And I hope that you would say, Lord, I would do anything with you. I would do anything for you. I would never hold back. Because you love me so much. And and the idea of having this ever-increasing faith is a willingness to say that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do, knowing that he wants me to experience an ever-growing, ever-increasing faith that's amazing with him. That's the great call of God. And so what happens in 23 to 27, he has the apostles get into a boat. These are experienced fishermen predominantly. They go out onto a sea and all of a sudden the storm rages and pounds the boat. It's coming apart. And Jesus is asleep. He's just literally asleep. He seems oblivious to their needs and oblivious to the situation. He seems absent from what's going on. And they wake him up and say, don't you care? Don't you care? And something happens. In verse 26, it says, He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. He has power over nature. And then it says this in verse 27, The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Did you notice what he said? Why are you afraid? Why do you not trust me? And, and I'm sure Peter and James and John could have said, look, we're experienced fishermen. We know when a boat's going to go down, it's going to go down. And he says, but you should trust me. By the way, some of you in here might say, I, I'm in, in the real real estate business. And I understand how dire things are. And God's saying, I know, but you should trust me. And, and some of you are saying, well, I'm, I'm in another particular line of work. And things are, God's saying, I know you should trust me. Some of you are saying, I just got news from the doctor and God's saying you should trust me. And if you said, well, I don't always trust as deeply as I should. Here's what I want you to not miss. They didn't either and Jesus still loved them. They didn't either and he still acted and moved. The reason is they were willing to get into the boat. And it's not that God doesn't love us and care about us when we struggle. He does. But what he wants to do is strengthen our faith. And right now, if you're in a place of pain, he loves you. And it may not seem like he's there, but he's there. Right now, if you're in a place of fear, he wants to free you from your fear. And it might not seem like he cares, but I want to tell you he does. And all he wants you to do is trust him. It might be a place where you say, but you know what? I can't understand how to take the next step. Well, the Bible says, ask for his wisdom and he will give it to you. He does care. But he wants you and he wants me to be willing to trust him no matter what. To take action upon it. There was another group of people that literally blew it. I mean, they they did something so horrible that they thought, what are we going to do? What happened is they literally stood and started screaming, crucify, 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 calling for the death of Jesus. And then he rose from the dead. And they knew the tomb was empty. And on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles, and they came out and began to speak in other tongues, and people were amazed at it, and they sensed the very presence of God. And Peter stood up and said, I need to tell you why this is happening, because Jesus, whom you crucified, is the Messiah you were waiting for, but he is not in the tomb any longer. He has risen. And they all of a sudden realized, oh, we literally cursed the Son of God. We turned against him. We reviled him. We called for his death. Many of them saw it happen and they're wondering what do we do and jesus had and peter had an answer peter said you know what you do you repent and you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit in other words here's what he's saying you have not done anything so bad that god's love isn't greater than it you've not put yourself in a position where god wouldn't love you anyway And he's saying, this is where the grace of God comes. But what you need to do is you need to turn to God. Repent means to turn to God. And you need to open up to him. And then you need to go do what God calls for you to do, be baptized. Now, in a Jewish setting, that would be like, wait, what? Because they knew what baptism was. If you were a non-Jew, a Gentile, and you wanted to become Jewish, you would go through a particular series of classes, and then what would happen is you would be baptized. And in going under the water, you would say, I'm dying to be a Gentile. And when you come up, you say, now I'm Jewish. He was saying to them, I want you to deny all the heritage that you think got you into an incredible place with God. And I want you to do something different, something hard, something amazing, something that would stand you apart in an experience with Christ. So Peter says, I need for you to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And by the way, catch that. You can't get baptized if you don't know you have sin. You need to do it because, you know, I know I need the Lord. I know that's who I am. And then in Romans chapter 6, it says that baptism is something where we're buried with Christ. And again, the word baptized literally means to be dipped, submerged, or plunged. But it's not just a ceremony. It's a worship experience. Whereas you go into this water and you go under, you're saying, I literally want to die to myself and I'm being buried with Jesus. And when you go through that experience, you need to experience him. You're buried with him. Just as he was buried for you, you're buried with Christ. It's an amazing time with you and Jesus sharing together. And I always tell people when you're baptized, you think about the fact that it's almost like he's put his arms around you. And as you go under, you're saying, Lord, I, I am yours completely. No holding back. I'm ready to deny self. I'm ready to die to self. I'm ready to be yours. And then it says, as you come up out of the water, it's a resurrection. You're a born again Christian. You're brand new. And this experience is one that Peter said, Do you really want a relationship with him? Then go and do it. Just like Jesus said to the leper, now that I've moved in your life, you go do the ceremonies you're called to do. And so anybody, anybody who comes to know Christ, Jesus is saying that you come experience this with me. And you might say, but why? What if I don't want to? Well, in Luke 17, it says, if you want ever increasing faith, you do all the things he's commanded you to do. All of them. You don't hold back. You don't wait. Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism becomes a huge dividing line. It's that moment of you saying, no more of the old way, no more business as usual. And you say to God, I want to be yours completely. Notice it says, make disciples and baptize disciples. And 1 Peter 3, it says, baptize people so they can call on God for a clear conscience. Now, here's what you need to understand. A baby can't do that. A baby, a baby can't ask for forgiveness of sins. A baby can't experience a call upon God and an intimacy with him like this. This ceremony was designed to be intimate for you and him. And by the way, it needs to be your choice. And it needs to be something you choose to do saying no holding back. And if that's not what you did, then that biblically wasn't baptism. Baptism. By the way, that just needs to understand that's part of your relationship with God. You know, for instance, to be in a relationship with God, you've got to believe in God. Nobody can believe for you. To be in a relationship with God, you've got to repent. Nobody can repent for you. In a relationship with God, you've got to be willing to confess him. And part of how you confess him is in baptism. Nobody can do that for you. And by the way, you don't want him to. Because you want to do this with him. You want to experience it with him. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, man, why are you talking about this, Chuck? Here's why. Because God's great desire is to have a relationship with you that's intimate and real and passionate and incredible. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do it. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And and Jesus even said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would open up to me, I would come to you. So it starts with you being willing to talk to God, to pray and say, I want this. And if you were willing to say, okay, that's what I need to do, I'll do it. And you want to pray a prayer where you say yes to him in a moment. I'm going to give you a chance to do that with me. Then the next thing I'm going to ask you to do is now that you've turned to God is be baptized. Come do what he wants you to do. Come and experience that with him. Now, today we're doing it in a very incredible way. See, in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, when they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people went into the water. They they didn't go and get robes. They just went in their clothes, and they immediately did it. And today, I'm going to give you a chance that if you want to be baptized in Christ, I'm going to just say, come, and you're just going to get in the water. Get in with your clothes on. And you might say, wait, wait, why would I want to do that? I'm saying if God's calling you for to do it, then you just do it. You do it because you love him. And you might say, but if I do that, how am I going to drive home in my car? I'll get my seat wet. Well, we have plastic bags to give you to put over your seats. Right? If you say, but what am I going to do with my stuff? We have another plastic bag to put your things in. And we have policemen who are going to stand all over here and protect it for you. Okay. If you say, but I'm wearing a white shirt, what do I do? Well, we have a black shirt for you to put on so you won't be see-through. And I mean this very seriously. I know there are people here who have a very genuine concern about water, a fear, a phobia. Well, what we've found is this. This pool becomes amazing. Because, um, you know, I want to promise you there's no way you can drown in this pool. And, uh, uh, and, and, and you know what? If that's been an issue for you, come be baptized. Come experience him. Some of you might say, but this water here is cold. Well, that one up there is heated.